Good afternoon. Today we are studying the announcement of the birth of John to Zacharias by the angel Gabriel. This is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Luke by, begins by reminding us that uh, Herod is the king, which he is going to remind us again in the next chapter when he talks about the birth of Jesus. Luke is usually very precise in his timings, letting us know uh, exactly what was going on in the secular world to place the accounts that he relates to us in real history, not myths made up, but real history. And we have here a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he is married to uh, a lady named Elizabeth, who is also a Levite. It was not necessary for priests to marry other Levites. They very often did not. In fact, um, Elizabeth's parents must have, or at least one of Elizabeth's parents must not have been a Levite. Her mother must not have been a Levite. Uh, because we know that she is, is cousins with Mary, who is of the tribe of Judah. But uh, Zacharias, in this case, was married to a, a Levite. That is, Elizabeth's father was a Levite. And that was considered an especial honor that uh, both parents were Levites. But they had no children. And so it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So this was something that was done every day, three times a day. Incense was offered. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I back up there. Three times a day prayers were offered in the temple before the Lord. Only once in the day was the incense offered, and that was in the evening. At the third prayer, the incense was offered. And different uh, groups of priests took turns doing this task. And then of those groups, uh, one was chosen by lot uh, to be the one to offer it for a week. So Zacharias' job was to go in and to offer incense every evening for a week as the people were praying outside. Now, the altar where he offered incense was right in front of the Holy of Holies. It wasn't in the Holy of Holies, but right in front of it. So if you remember the architecture of the temple, there was the outer courtyard, which is where the people were, and the, the major altar was there where the sacrifices were done. And then there was a building in the middle of the courtyard, and that building was divided into two parts the holy place and the holy of holies in the holy of holies we have the ark of the covenant symbolizing the presence of the lord and that was entered into only once a year by the high priest so that's not where zacharias is going he is going into the holy place that that room that was in front of the holy of holies and there right in front of the curtain that divided the holy of holies from the holy place was the altar of incense and this altar was used only for the offering of incense. It wasn't used for anything else. It was consecrated once a year uh, by the blood of the goat uh, on the Day of Atonement. But it was only used for incense. And the incense is a visual representation of the prayers of the people ascending before God. Many Christian denominations still use this to this day, especially the Eastern Orthodox like to use incense in their service as a visual representation of our prayers ascending up to the Lord. 
Just as incense is sweet-smelling, so the Bible reminds us that the prayers of his people are a sweet-smelling aroma to God. You can imagine as a father, uh, those of you who are fathers, you know, someday your children are going to grow up and they're going to go through that phase where they kind of rebel against their parents and maybe there will be even a time when they don't want to talk to you at all. But then years later, they get a family of their own and they're starting to raise children of their own and all of a sudden they're calling you up saying dad i need help i don't know what to do my child's doing this my child's doing that and you can imagine the delight you're going to feel as a father or maybe you've already felt it as a father when your grown children come back to you asking for your help and you're probably rush uh, to help them out as as much as you can and so the lord tells us that this is how he feels. He is our father. We are his children. And he delights in his grace and mercy and his love for us to help us out in every need. He wants us to come to him with his prayers. And so the incense is there showing how the Lord delights to hear our prayers. And again, this was done every day. So Zechariah goes into the temple uh, to offer the incense while the people are outside praying, the incense being a visual representation of their prayer. And as he is standing before the altar to offer the incense, there appears to him to the right side of the altar an angel of the Lord. Now, most likely, uh, this means the, the right side of the altar, which would be Zacharias's left, right? Because he's facing the altar. There are some commentaries that try and argue that, no, it would have been Zacharias's right, but probably it was the, to the right, the right side of the altar, which is what our, new, our English translations usually say. Notice the angel does not stand above the altar. You know, if we were going to draw a picture of it, that's probably where we would instinctually put the angel if we weren't being careful. But he stands to the right. Above the altar, that was God's place. There the incense was going up to God and to hear him. And the angel does not take that place. He is not God. But he comes as God's right-hand man, as his messenger. And that's, of course, what the term angel means. The term angel means messenger, the messenger of the Lord. And Gabriel is going to make a specific point about this later. Sometimes the term angel is used in scripture for these spiritual beings that come directly from the presence of the Lord. Uh, but it's also sometimes the word angel is often sometimes used in the scripture for anyone who proclaims the word of the Lord. So there are places in the New Testament where the term angel is used of the apostles or some of other Jesus's other disciples. And in the Old Testament as well, it's used for uh, the prophets who are the messengers of God. So here we have Gabriel, which, by the way, is one of the angels that also appeared to Daniel. So Zacharias being a priest would have immediately understood the term, the, the name Gabriel, and would have connected it back to the book of Daniel. But uh, Zacharias sees the angel, and he in fear falls upon him. And this is very common. Almost every time an angel of the Lord appears to anyone in the scripture, immediately the fear of the Lord falls upon them. And of course it's going to happen because we who are sinners are going to be afraid when confronted with the righteous glory of the Lord. Uh, but uh, the angel says to Zacharias, the same thing that the angels always say to people, God does, does not send these angels in order to bring fear upon us, in order to bring his judgment. Uh, the day of judgment is going to come, but when God sends his angels, it's always a sending of grace and mercy to proclaim good news, as indeed this angel is there to do as well. So do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. 
Zacharias doesn't need to be afraid. Why does he not need to be afraid? Uh, not because he's so good and perfect. You notice that Luke says that Zacharias and Elizabeth, his, his, his wife, were both righteous before God, work, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Of course, this was a righteousness that was by faith. It was a righteousness that was a gift of God to them. They believed in God, and God counted it to them for righteousness, as he did to Abraham as well. It's not a righteousness that is inherent in themselves, a, a lack of sin, if you will. Uh, but Zacharias does not need to be afraid, even though he is a sinner and he is now in the presence of this angel who stands before God. Zacharias does not need to be afraid because of God's grace. And so we also, when we come to church, when we come into the presence of God, we don't need to fear God's wrath and judgment because God comes in his grace through Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing we do in our worship service is to confess our sins and to receive the message from God that they're forgiven so that we, we don't need to be afraid of his presence, just like the angel tells Zacharias, he does not need to be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard in your wife, Elizabeth. So in other words, the angel is saying here, don't be afraid, Zacharias. I haven't come to bring judgment on you. I've come to fulfill this prayer. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, what prayer is it that the angel was talking to Zacharias about? Zacharias is quite old. He's probably given up praying for children for himself. But the angel could still be referring to a prayer that Zacharias and his wife probably offered many, many times, many, many years ago. And that's a reminder for us as well that just because the Lord doesn't answer our prayers immediately, that doesn't mean that he's not listening. It doesn't mean that he's not going to answer our prayers. Sometimes the Lord has reasons for waiting. And if we're patient and we hope and have faith in him, he will answer those prayers in his own good time. Another possibility here is that the angel is talking about the very prayer that Zacharias was there to perform before the altar as a priest bringing the prayers to the people before the Lord and offering the incense that was the symbol of that prayer. One of the most important of those prayers, one that certainly would have been being offered as he spoke, was a prayer for the coming of the Messiah, for which the people had been waiting for so long. And uh, the angel Gabriel's response here could be a reference to either or maybe even both prayers. Uh, you shall have a son and call his name John, and he is going to be the forerunner. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So in the book of Leviticus, the Lord lays out rules for what he calls a Nazarite order. These were a special group of people that were supposed to dedicate their lives to the service of the Lord. And this is what the angel is describing here, that John would be one of these Nazarites, outwardly doing these signs or doing these things that showed his dedication to the Lord as well as dedicating himself to the Lord inwardly as well. You may recall that uh, Jesus himself talks about the difference between his ministry and John's ministry. He says, John came neither eating nor drinking, and uh, you didn't believe in him, and I I've come eating and drinking, and you don't believe in me. So Jesus himself draws attention to the difference between the two. John was the fulfillment, the symbol, if you will, the final 
uh, prophet of the Old Testament. And to some extent, then, he represented the law of God. And in his ministry, he was supposed to be calling people to repentance. And so his life itself was a, a call to repentance. Everyone who came out to hear him speak could compare themselves to him and see how far they how far they sh fell short even of this prophet. No, 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 never mind how far they fall short of God's holiness and perfection, but John lived in such a way that that outward piety would be very apparent and, and therefore it was part of his call of repentance to the people. Jesus, on the other hand, came to represent God to us, to teach us who God is and what he's like. And Jesus doesn't want us thinking that God is this stern, angry judge that we have no chance. But he came bearing and proclaiming the grace of God, the gospel uh, that we are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And so he was God dwelling amongst us. And he didn't separate himself by these outward signs of piety, but lived amongst us. As we talked about last week in the, the changing of water into wine, teaching us God's mercy and grace, uh, even in these little things. Uh, so it's a little bit of the difference there between the ministry of John and the, uh, the ministry of Jesus. He will be, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. We already read that part. He shall turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. One of the first and uh, most obvious signs of unbelief and a turning away from the Lord is the disrespect for authority. We see rampant around us in uh, our time as well. But if you're not going to listen to the Lord and his word, well, why are you going to listen to other forms of authority? Um, and so a lot of times a turning away from the Lord uh, is followed also by a turning away from other forms of authority and rebellion uh, in the society in general. And so this phrase is often used as synonymous with righteousness and faith. The, the idea that he's going to come and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and uh, very often it's accompanied by the other way as well, the, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Uh, notice he explains that just in the next phrase, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Uh, so the fathers are going to have mercy on their children instead of being stern and, and punishing them. You know, the grace of the Lord is being shown there. And the children are going to return to their fathers in, in, disobedience, or in obedience and faith. And to make ready a people then prepared for the Lord. So the whole idea here, everything the angels tells us about John portrays him as one who is going to proclaim repentance, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Then Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So one of the questions we always have with this account is, why does the angel punish Zechariah when he doubts his word? But he doesn't seem to punish Mary when she doubts the angel's words. And, we're, you know, we'll, we'll get into that story of Mary, uh, in, you know, 
uh, you know, coming up Sunday. This time we're focused on Zechariah. And of course, the the simple answer is that the Lord knows the heart. Very often, two people can say almost the same thing, but with very different attitudes in the heart. Zechariah apparently says what he says in, in unbelief and in doubt, uh, not really willing to accept the word of the angel. Mary probably says what she says in humility, like, who am I that, that such a great thing should happen to me? Uh, whereas Zechariah is is probably more uh, arrogant and whatever. And the, the other thing, too, is that Zechariah is a priest, right? He spent his whole life serving the Lord and reading the word of God. He should know better. Uh, the Lord does expect more and hold to account those who have positions of authority, those who are sent to teach his word. He expects more of them than he expects of maybe you might say your ordinary layman or, or your ordinary person because he has given them his word and they, they're supposed to be dedicating that we see this also in the, the story of Moses we could go back and give some examples of that how uh, what seems like a simple sin in the life of Moses God punishes Moses very severely for because he does expect his leaders uh, he does expect more from his leaders and so anyway, Gabriel gives him this punishment. And, it, you know, partly it was a punishment, sure, but also it gave Zechariah the opportunity to really focus for nine months until the child is born on the word of God and, and not be distracted uh, and to really study the scriptures. And we see that he did take it to heart and do that because once the child is born, we have that song of Zechariah that he says in which he shows that he had been studying the scriptures and had come to very much appreciate the grace of God uh, that was given to him in John and the coming of the Messiah. So Zechariah now is mute. He goes outside and the people have been waiting for him, wondering what was taking so long. Uh, obviously, Zechariah had gotten sidetracked, didn't get out as soon as, as he might have, but he couldn't tell them because he was, he was mute. And normally he would have said the benediction, the ironic benediction, the same benediction that we end our services with. Normally, Zechariah would have come out and given that to the people and he couldn't because he was mute. But he was able to make them understand what happened by signs that he had seen a vision, although... And it seems as though he wasn't really able to explain to them what the vision was or what it meant. So he goes back home and he obviously is able to communicate with his wife, Elizabeth. Maybe he just wrote it down for her. We don't know what it was that was happening. And she becomes pregnant and hides herself for five months. This hiding of herself for five months was probably a... Uh, outward show of rejoicing in the Lord that she she maybe went away to a special place where she could uh, pray and give thanks and re, and give rejoice to the Lord give praise to the Lord for that he had finally after all these years uh, given her a child and and fulfilled this this long you know long prayer that she had had uh, for her so that's a basic overview of the story. Uh, remember that uh, when you're telling the story and you're sharing with the children, remember we want to focus on the coming of Jesus. That's the, the really wonderful and the really important part of this, this account. Not that uh, John would be born, but what it meant that now finally after 4,000 years, the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve is beginning to be fulfilled. The time has come. The forerunner is here uh, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And pretty soon, Jesus himself would be coming.